0: Who am I? Am I my job? My kids? My marital status? My dress size? My social media popularity? Who am I can be a confusing and painful question. But what if it's the wrong question? Maybe this is a better question. Who does the Bible tell me I am in Christ? Don't fall for the false narratives of who you are. Reclaim the truth of who you are in Christ.
1: There were a couple uh, English sailors who were given the weekend as a leave of absence from the ship, and so uh, these English sailors hit up the local town, and they were uh, having a pretty good time, as you can imagine. They made their way to a nice pub, and when they were in the pub, they drank a little bit too much and so sort of got themselves wasted and and they staggered out of the pub and they started walking around the town that they were in and and they spent like an hour trying to figure out where they were and they just had to admit to themselves finally that that they were lost and so one of the sellers he sort of grabbed the attention of a, a passerby and he said hey he said old block he said can you sort of help us out here we we uh, we don't know where we are. Where are we? Unbeknownst to that man, because of the state of mind that he was in, he had just called out his commanding officer. And his commanding officer, quite indignant about the state of being that they were in and the disrespect, looked at him and he said, Do you know who I am? And they looked a little bewildered and he said, Do you know who I am? And sailor goes, he says, well, I think we're in a whole lot of trouble now. And the other sailor said, yeah, he says, we don't know where we are and he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) I feel there's a lot of stammering around sometimes with different ones of us because we don't know where we are or who we are. We're going to begin a few weeks here in this Thanksgiving month talking about our identity in Christ, because it's so true, especially with what's happening today as I look around and some of the challenges happening in our culture and our society, there is a lack of knowing who we are, and it's also true of Christians and churches, and so whether you're here for the first time today or you've been a regular for a while, we're going to step into this. And uh, we're going to unpack in uh, these couple, three weeks here how you can freshly discover life. Maybe your life's going well. That's great. Maybe your life's a little stagnant. Maybe your life is challenged right now with hardship. But we have in Christ not only an identity, but we have the fullness of life. Jesus himself said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so I invite you to endear yourself to our thoughts with this, but this matter of our identity is uh, pretty significant. I uh, read this last week on this subject that uh, it was a few years ago that there was a gentleman who was found naked and beat up by a dumpster behind a Burger King in Georgia. Happened a few years ago. And so when they got him, he was unconscious, and they took him to the hospital, and they got him revived. And as they got him revived, and they were trying to figure out who he was because there was no identification on him, they discovered that he had total amnesia. He had no idea who he was. And they worked and worked trying to get some semblance. Was there a relative? Was there a friend? Who is this guy? In fact, the FBI even stepped in and they took fingerprints and some DNA. And they could not find out who this guy was. And his memory was not coming back. He he was okay, but total amnesia. And these huge uh, spans of life that he had were not known to him. Dr. Phil actually got involved and had him on a show thinking that that might do well. That, you know, hey, there could be uh, somebody watching the, the TV program. Dr. Phil even hired an investigator to be able to, uh, to track down things and try to discover it. And one of the nurses that had been taking care of him or had an affinity for his plight took him into her home and tried to continue to nurse him back to health and, and try to figure this thing out of, of who he was. It went on for 11 years. 11 years. Can you comprehend that? Not knowing who you are. You got up today. You got in a car. You drove here to church. You made some decisions. You got plans afterwards, right? You're sitting beside somebody that probably knows you a little bit. That kind of thing. But think about being in this world with no clue, no identity of who you were. And Thankfully, through the course of some other kinds of initiatives and investigation and and checking things out and some of his memory that just started to come back, they did discover who he was and reconnect him with family and friends, the few that maybe were out there. So here's your question. It was presented to you. Who are you? Now you're going to greet somebody here this morning. Hey, hi, how are you? You've know, been here? Who are you? They're going to give some context for that. What comes to the forefront of your mind when you try to describe yourself to someone else? Does it have to do with uh, maybe your background? Does it have to do with what you do? That's sort of a common thing, right? Especially for us guys, I'm defined by what I do, right? Did it have to do with your uh Uh, accolades in life? Some of your successes? Does it have to do with uh, your ethnicity? Uh, Some of the affinities you have in life? How would you describe who you are? Because it's sort of like the guy with amnesia. Sometimes we, we really don't have a clarity. And so what begins to happen is that other people start to place an identity in front of us. You see, we um, can go down some different roads with letting ourselves be branded with our identity. Ultimately, you know who's attacking your identity? Satan. And he wants to mess with it big time. And some of you here this morning, you may or may not identify with this, but I can guarantee you, he wants to mess with your identity and who you are. And move you into a place of isolation. You know why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. There's spiritual warfare going all around us. And Satan wants to oppose God at every turn. And you know how he opposes God? He opposes God by going after the family. You want to get under my skin or get me going a little bit? Well, you know, I'm going to uh, uh, really get upset if you start... You start messing with my wife or start messing with my kids or my extended family. I'm I'm going to come up for air, right? Don't you dare go there. Don't you do that. And that's exactly what happens in the spiritual realm. The adversary wants to attack your life and mine, especially as we are children of God. If we're a follower of Jesus, even if we're not a follower of Jesus, we're made in the image of God and God wants to have a relationship with us in our life. And maybe you're in that season of life where you're sort of checking God out. Well, you need to know this. If you're starting to check God out, you got opposition in the spiritual realm because Satan does not want you to know that you were created in the image of God, that he wants you to be a child of God, and that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your salvation and for your life because he came to give life and to give it to the fullest. There's a battle going on because you are to be connected with God. And so how does Satan work? Well, he does. He, he gets the opinions of others thrown in your face. How many of you have had somebody say something to you over the course of your life, maybe early on? Maybe it was even a parent or you know, a sibling or, or somebody else that you hung around with in school and they said something to you like, I can't believe that. You know, you're a stupid person or you're not very talented. Or who do you think that you are that you could sing or play athletics or something like that? And the words are there that start to bubble up and define us because everybody in life is wanting to decide who you should be. And so they're sort of like taking things and trying to make you into their image and who you want them to be. And so we're, we're him hauling around, double-stepping, going, Okay, well, I, I, I think I, I I sort of like to know who I am. But they say that I'm this, and this person says I'm this. Well, behind the scenes is the adversary trying to mess with you. Because you're made in the image of God. And so that's his way of trying to mess with God. Sometimes it's pain or hurt that's happened in our life and you can't get past that. Well, you get past it. You're fine. It's there in the back of the memory, but, but something happened and there's a sense of bitterness or resentment that causes you to sort of define relationships, define who you are with others. And you, you can't go very far from being pulled back with that kind of Of accusation. Or that kind of hurt. And pain. All kinds of ways. That we end up getting defined. By who we are. One of the things that's happening today. That I think is big time. Spiritual warfare. Is media and the culture. Is trying to define. Who you are. Grabbing right down into. Younger ages. Trying to mess with them. You know. Uh, gender identity, right? Sexual preferences, all those kinds of things, or or lifestyles you should be leading or things that you should be consuming, right? Maybe trying to define you as a consumer itself. That's your identity. I, I just sort of buy things. I take in things. I do stuff. I discard stuff. This is what I am. I'm just a machine of consumerism. Some of the pressure we see happening in our culture Related to the, the whole identity of who we are with our politics. Can I say that on a week that we're supposed to be uh, getting the vote out? And we should. Vote our conscience before God Almighty in a biblical worldview. You, you get out, you get that privilege in this nation. And there's people that God has called. And there's hearts of passion you have in certain areas. Get, you, vote! But you are not defined by whether you are a red person or a blue person. A Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an Independent. Right? I saw something posted this week, that whole thing of, let's remember this week we're not defined by donkeys and elephants, we're defined by the lamb who was slain. Right? There is pressure around us in our world for us to be categorized and placed, I don't, well, boxes, you could say boxes. I think in terms of silos, maybe that's my agrarian background, but you're placed in a silo and you're just supposed to stay there. This is who I am. I'm not supposed to associate here, here, here. This is who I am. Let me not step outside of my silo or I'm gonna be in trouble or I'm gonna feel insecure, whatever it may be. There's pressures all around us. Who are you? But is your identity being found in Christ as Scripture teaches us? Blaise Pascal, you know who he was? 17th century, he was a physicist, mathematician. He was also a philosopher. Uh, Different kinds of theories, things that he discovered, walked out. Some people say he was the father of the modern-day computer. And Blaise Pascal says this, Not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor God, nor ourselves. That's a smart person. That's no dummy. He saw through his world and an understanding and saying, it's not only that we know God through the person of Jesus Christ. We don't even know ourselves except through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God's son. What does the book of John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus Christ, the Word, the eternal, pre-existent God come in the flesh, who walked among us, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross for our salvation to break the power of Satan's sin, who was raised from the grave, is seated at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus Christ has an awful lot to do with your life, even if you've been anti-Jesus or indifferent to him your whole life. And if you want to find who you are, then you need to be looking at the life of Jesus Christ. Because it's in Jesus Christ that we begin to understand our life. We begin to understand the meaning of life. We begin to, to see the context for what death is like. Or uh, the idea of death in an afterlife. The concept of who God. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. Jesus explains God if you're on a search for God. And so also we don't understand fully ourselves and our very essence, the cells that make up our body and how we we're created and the mind that we've been given, the emotions that reflect the heart of God to love people and care, all that's embedded in an understanding of Jesus. And it'll reflect back in your own life. How many of you took a selfie this week? Did you take a selfie? You know, it's not too hard to take the selfies, right? Right? In the old days, it's pretty hard to take a selfie, right? You're trying to hold the camera hard, way down here. But, you know, you can, you can take a selfie pretty quick and and come up with all kinds of ideas of, of uh, how to decorate that selfie, who to take the selfie with. You just hit the turnaround button, right? And you do the turnaround button and, hey, there I am. I'll take a picture with all of us. Hey, there's Pastor Carrie in front of the congregation. Hey, here we go. How's it going? yeah. Yeah. How many of you like selfies? I mean, selfies all the time, right? Selfie here, selfie there. Let's post them, right? Nothing wrong with selfies. I'm glad I got some pictures of you now. I'm going to look you up and try to figure out if I know you for sure this afternoon. But our world teaches us to be self-consumed. That who we are is who we decide that we want to be. Who we are is not up to who made us, but who we would like to become. And so we have this tendency in a um, materialistic, individualistic, dare I say, narcissistic culture to just skirt around the whole understanding of finding our identity in who Christ has made us to be. You know, there's um, several places in Scripture um, that use this phrase, in Christ. In fact, there's about 240 references that you are in Christ. About 35, 40 of those have to do with your identity And we're going to maybe look at some of those in these couple, three weeks here and unpack some of them. Uh, Christian, the word Christian only occurs a couple times in Scripture. You know that? But what is spoken about you has to do with the person of Jesus, that you are in him. And so it's pretty important for us, especially for Christ followers, I guess if you're seeking to understand and maybe be a Christ follower, to understand that this identity issue is found in the personhood of Jesus Christ. It's not in all your accomplishments and everything uh, that you have taken on. I want you to turn in your scriptures if you have them to uh, Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, uh, we find Uh, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter, pushing back against the culture of his day, even the religious systems of his day, and um, he um, is bothered by everybody doing uh, the one-upmanship, trying to say, oh, this is who I am, or I'm better, this or that, right? And so he says this in um, Philippians 3. We'll start with... uh, I'm going to start with verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. You probably say, watch out for those people that are trying to define you by some religious straitjacket or some religious type of rituals, routines. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. And then he says this in verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So here's Paul. He's saying, hey, listen. You think you're cool? You think you got a good selfie, good profile? Let me tell you, about me. Me! And I suppose if you had identified with um, Paul before his conversion to know Christ, it's interesting, this week in our men's group, we're actually going to be stepping into Paul's conversion. Uh, He was Saul, and then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Big transformation, right? And Jesus like, why do you kick back against me? And and he ends up becoming a follower of Jesus. But up to that time, Saul was this big-time religious heat person, And he starts to describe it. And he would have described himself if somebody asked him, Hey, Saul, who are you? He said, Hey, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. If anyone, someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have more. I was um, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, well, I was a Pharisee. So you certain, sort of couldn't touch that. You ever been around royalty or maybe celebrity, somebody's famous, you think, oh, wow, they're sort of in a different category. Well, the Pharisees were that way. Here they were, the Jewish uh, institutional leaders of that time. And Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee and he goes on and he says he had a lot of zeal. The the tribe that he come out of, uh, Benjamin, was a particular unique tribe. It wasn't a very large tribe of Israel. And he says, in regard to the law a Pharisee, as for zeal, as for zeal persecuting the church, you might see. Say, well, that's not cool. Persecute? No. You see, he was dogmatic. He was about purity. Purity in the religion. Purity in his, you name the type of distinctive, whether it's uh, a political kind of distinctive or a a doctrinal kind of distinctive biblically. You know, there's these identities that come with us. Like, yeah, I'm a purist, man. I'm a purist. That's what he was saying. He was. I was a zealot. I persecuted the church. The church were those people that started to following the way, which was this Jesus, and Jesus wasn't the Messiah as we'd anticipated him as Jewish people. So that's sectarian. That's you're, colluding your, uh, you're polluting yourself. They're they're progressive. They're liberal or something. I was like, you know, stay away from them. And so we persecuted them. That's how zealous I was and how religious I was. And he took a lot of pride and identity in that. This last week in our uh, our study in Acts on Saturday, we were looking at Stephen being stoned and killed, and they laid their coats. Those who stoned Stephen to death because of his testimony of Jesus and following Jesus, they laid their coats. At whose feet? Saul's feet. He condoned. Pretty heavy, big-time identity here he had going. Persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law. Can you believe you would say this word? Faultless. Any of you faultless today? Think of the arrogance of this man. The arrogance of this man and his identity. But then he says what? In verse seven, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All that he had, that he identified himself with, who am I? He saw it as nothing and discarded it for the sake of his identity in Christ, I consider everything a loss compared or because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. All things. I... Consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is based on faith. There is an awful lot of things that we can be rightfully proud of accomplishments wise our identity backgrounds families things that are brought i'm not here to bash that excel succeed be engaged own your identity ethnicity-wise, and family. But friends, when all said and done, when it comes to who we are as an individual, it's all for naught if we don't find our identity in Jesus Christ. Where are you at? What search were you on this last week? Were you trying to, yeah, you're trying to make ends meet. You're just trying to be responsible. You're trying to take care of the kids. I understand all that. But were you doing it as a works to make yourself feel better about who you are? Because you see, the critical nature of this subject exposes or permeates into all of life. Because if we don't find our identity in Christ, then we're going to be seeking to find our identity in something else. But if we find our identity in Christ, there's a freedom that comes and this whole understanding of who we are in Christ has to do with your salvation and your new birth. That's why one of the best passages for this whole subject of identity in Christ is found in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians says this. 2 Corinthians 5:17 Therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Any of you heard that verse before? How many of you hold on to that verse every day of your life? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And this concept of new that's listed here isn't new like, say, okay, there's a production line of cars and they're producing one car after another car after another car after another car and you're standing at the end of the assembly line and oh, look, here's another new car. But it's a copy of a prior model or something else. So there's that term for new. But in the Greek, the word for new here means totally other, never made before. A unique model car. In fact, it even flies. It doesn't have wheels. It's a vehicle you've never seen. Totally new. When you are in Christ and you invite Christ to come into your life, he saves you, he redeems you, he changes you. You have become a totally new person, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But you have a culture that's around you trying to sort of lift up the old, broken, sinful person. This is who you are. I'm going to call bro out. Bro's back there, he just said that, amen. We're back there singing worship and I don't know what it was a second or third song. Maybe the second, first song. I don't know, Angela. And he comes over to me. Was it how many years ago? Fourteen. Fourteen years ago. The God came into his life and changed his life. And he became sober. And he walked away from the old bro and became the new bro. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and many of you have that type of testimony here. But I want to ask you something. This week... I'll ask you, bro. This week, did you identify with the old bro or the new bro? The new bro. bro. And every single day, because I'm around the man some, he sits on our board. it's It's like, yes, this is my new identity. This is who I am in Christ. And so be mindful. Of the voices that speak into your head. Ultimately the adversary. Satan himself. Trying to define your identity. By what other people have said. Because of the hurts and the pains in your life. Because of what the media or the culture says you should be. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to erase. That understanding that you are a new person in Christ. And you need to remind him. Remind yourself and others. That The old is gone and the new has come. You have your identity, not in all your problems and your circumstances and whether people like you or don't like you. You have your identity in what Jesus Christ thinks of you. And Jesus Christ thinks so much of you that he personally died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins and the transformation of your life. And if you've never crossed that line of faith, today would be a beautiful day for you to do what this verse says, become a new creation and just simply surrender your life to the Lord. And say, come into my life. You made me. You recreate me. I will live for you. The great, uh, well, to me, great, maybe you don't know his name, Bible uh, study writer, preacher, Martin Lloyd Jones says this Our greatest need is to become who we already are in Christ. Our greatest need is to become who we already are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we have to become something. It's like this, uh, uh, this is the identity of Christ in me. Okay? So it's Christ now that dwells within me. And so I am enlightened. I am illuminated to who I am in Christ. So my greatest need is to become who I already am in Christ. But the whisperings of Satan, you know, there's voices in our head, right? I mean, if we have a voice from God, we think it's inspiration. If it's the voice of Satan, it's temptation. Said sometimes it's our voice, then it's sort of a voice of stupidity sometimes, or hey, that's not really right. It's like, okay, what are the voices? The voice of God and the voice of his word and finding your identity in who you are, what Scripture says you are as a believer in Christ is critical every single day of your life. I could pull up several of you and you give powerful testimony to this about the old and the new. We need to bring into our everyday existence who we already are in Christ. Our identity in Christ is going to be a pathway to three things. Security, significance, and satisfaction. So what we look at to have a heart of gratitude in this Thanksgiving month is really transformational for those areas in your life. I, um, some of you know, our daughter, our youngest, is in college, And uh, lands it's a different day with social media and FaceTime and all those kinds of things. They're 10 hours away, but they're really not. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not so good, maybe. And uh, I was getting ready to go to bed this week. I was going to bed early, you know. I'm going to get to bed for the right time. I'm getting ready to get out of my lazy boy chair from some of my study and reflection time and turn the light off and and I get a FaceTime call from my daughter and I'm like oh this may not be a short conversation (laughs) but she needs her dad so hi Grace how are you doing And she's in one of her little study cubicles somewhere because she had three heavy exams, chemistry, human anatomy, New Testament this week. And she was focused and she was (laughs) going to try to do her best. And uh, she just needed some encouragement. And then she asked me, she said, well, what are you doing, Dad? I'm like, well, I'm getting ready to go to bed, actually. But uh, I was sitting here trying to decide for sure that I needed to speak to our church family on the subject of our identity in Christ. (laughs) And she just sort of lit up. She goes, oh, yes, you need to do that, Dad, because that's exactly what I'm going through in my life right now. I am trying to find who I am in Christ versus all the peer pressure, right? All the, is the grade good or the grade bad, right? And being in a different kind of town than what she grew up in. And I just had to smile because it's true. Whether you're young or you're old. There's this wrestling with our identity, and that identity is going to impact things like our safety and our security, our significance. It's all tied together. So instead of trying to go and grab all those things in life, let's just circle up. Let's just focus right here. Let's do the good look into God's Word concerning our identity in Him. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I want us to unpack that after uh, a little while, not today, but this is the beauty, what I refer to as the Christ life, not the self-life. And if we've not discovered the Christ life, then we're going to be off on the beaten path in all kinds of places, looking for identity and also being attacked by the enemy. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. I, um, I want us to do something here, a little bit different than out of the routine. If I can get some of the ushers to take their places. Did you get a communion cup this morning when you came in? You got a communion cup this morning when you came in. I, uh, I want us to do just communion right in the middle of uh, this message. The communion cup. Maybe you know what it is when you came in, maybe not. There's some juice there at the top. There's a little piece of bread in the bottom. When you open those, make sure you open the bread first. That wouldn't be good. And then you got the top. I want you to take this because this passage, the Apostle Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians 11 says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said in the same way, after supper, after supper, he he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion, a common element of worship. It's not only the remembrance of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body and his resurrection as a part of your salvation in history past. It's your lifeline for your day tomorrow. Do this in remembrance of me. Some of you grew up in more high churches, Catholic churches, Anglican Episcopal churches. You know, when the Protestant movement broke out, which was a protest back against many things, which uh, we go into all that, I won't. Uh, there was a change that happened in the sanctuary of the church buildings. In the high church, there's usually a huge table where communion is placed and offered. Its center. And then they have this little pulpit up to the side, and a person climbs in the pulpit and they give a little homily. The Protestants, when they push back on some of the ritual legal things and like I said, I won't go they, they, they changed things. They, they brought the pulpit to the center. Because we believe in the word of God being central. And that is true, friends, it is. However, with the remembrance thing, we sort of stepped it aside. Now, some denominations, they have communion every week. Scripture doesn't say how often you should take communion. It says as often as you do this in remembrance of me. But there's nothing wrong in having it every week or you could have it every day. We do it once a month, first Sunday of the month, normally. But maybe we Protestants ought to rethink a little bit about the centrality, not of the communion element itself, but the remembrance because we need to remember him. Our identity is in him. Our victory over the challenges of life and the harm that maybe is heading our way or has is in Christ. Who we are growing up as a college student into our young adult years and looking at the world before us, it, it's central to remember him because. He lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but he lives in me. And his life is the new life. It's not the new and improved, carry that's going to make it. But it's the replaced life. And Jesus, today I remember you. So I'm going to ask you to take the bread And we're going to pray in remembrance of his broken body. And then we're going to take of the cup and we're going to remember him. And this act of remembrance today is not for history past of our salvation. Or even looking forward to the day when we will take of the cup and the bread around the throne room of heaven. But it's for today, for your very life, and for tomorrow at work or at school, or in the home. Remember your identity in Christ. Lord, for the bread, we thank you for the breaking of your body. That you were obedient to the point of death. That you did not run from the lashings, the accusations, the falsities that were told about you, but that you bore that cross to Golgotha and you died in our place, your body was broken. We thank you in remembrance of our identity in you, Christ, for your broken body. You may take of the bread. And after the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is my new covenant because I make all things new. You know, that's what he says in Revelation. Behold, he who makes all things new, it began at the cross, the shedding of his blood for redemption. If you're a follower of Christ this morning and you live underneath that new covenant, Will you pray with me, Lord? We thank you. In remembrance of you, our identity with you, Christ. You are our life. You shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. And it was by your blood that you defeated Satan and your full obedience to death. And it's through the power of your resurrection that he has no claims on my life. Because I am now a follower of yours because of this new covenant. Not by works, so no men can boast. But by grace through faith. We thank you for your shed blood, Jesus, in remembrance of you. You may partake together. Angel, I don't know how you're going to close. I had some more words I thought I might share. But our day comes to a close. Unless maybe the Lord's been speaking to you in your life and your heart, and you need to lay something down at the altar or in your seat in prayer. I want us to close and worship. The ushers will come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your connect cards. But in all that we do this next week, may we find our identity in Christ and remember him. He lives in you. He is directing you. He will not forsake you. He will hold you up when you're down. My friend, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? And if not, I want to encourage you to talk to a friend you came with. Come talk with me after church. There's a prayer area over here where we have people pray. Say, I want to know Jesus. I need a new me. I'm tired of the selfies. I want the image of Christ in my life. Will you place your faith in Him today? It's a free gift for all who believe. So, in that. I want to encourage us to stand and let's worship him. And may we carry this worship through in our hearts to a week filled with joy because of who we are in
0: Grace that flows like a river Washing over me Fount of heaven, love of Christ Overflowing me Let's sing that one more time. Like a river, who Set me free, Christ, Christ, my Savior. You rescued me. Let's all sing out. You've given me life. Oh, you've given me life. You. you, Jesus, you set me free, oh, Christ, my Savior, you rescued me, let's sing that again, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Send me, for Christ, Christ, my Savior. You rescued me.
1: Do you believe the Lord speaks to you? Especially in moments of reflection. Maybe he's spoken to you here this morning. Be obedient to what he has said, especially if you need prayer. It was a few weeks ago in the revival series that I felt led that we needed to be gathering for prayer, pre service. And then it was his speaking that we need to circle up and do corporate prayer rather than just pray quietly, maybe in our chairs and scattered. And there was a good group of 25 people here again this Sunday morning at 9.30 for 20 minutes we're praying and you're invited to be a part of that. Prompted by the Holy Spirit. But the Lord just prompted again. This idea of remembrance of Him. Maybe it needs to happen more regularly in your life. And so every week for the next few weeks at the end of service, I'm just going to make sure that those elements are up here and available to you. And maybe you come pre-service to take the elements privately on your own. Maybe it's after dismissal when you come and kneel and pray. But if we're truly sincere about finding our identity in Christ, then sometimes it's helpful to have reminders. Reminders communion is a sacrament that God gifted for us to remember him past future but also in the present so come next week for prayer if you want to take communion next week it's going to be here on a weekly basis for the weeks ahead today we have the opportunity to uh, go and encourage one another out in uh, the commons area It's a little chilly, so we have hot chocolate, and we need to get rid of all the candy. It was a pretty good deal as far as how many kids we had. We had about 350, 400, but there's some extra candy, so be careful, (laughs) especially if your kids are around it, but there's candy and hot chocolate there. Angela, you're going to be leading the the children in here for the um, practice for Christmas songs, but may you go with this blessing now. To him who does reside on the throne, the one who has made you a new creation, who has discarded the old and has made all things new through him, may he go with you and abide with you and dwell in your mind as well as in your actions to bring glory to the Father this week. God bless.